If you have a Red Pew Bible, you can find Habakkuk 1 on page 785 of that Pew Bible. I don't know if you can place Habakkuk. He's called one of the minor prophets um, traditionally in the church, not because um, uh, of the content, not because of his own um, personal uh, um, presence uh, in Scripture, um, simply, honestly, because um, when they restructured the Bible, they put the bigger prophetic books in front, the larger scrolls, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and they called them the major prophets. And they put the shorter ones more toward the back, and they call them, unfortunately, the minor prophets. But no word of God is minor. Amen? No word of God is, um, is not important for us. And so Habakkuk prophesied, um, gosh, it must have been um, between 640 and 605 B.C. Isn't that astounding? He spoke these words, which we're going to read here in just a moment, 2,600 years before now. And yet, I think if you've had a chance already to prepare by reading Habakkuk, or, or if you're reading it for the first time, I think that you'll discover these words could have been written yesterday. And that's the amazing thing about God's Word, isn't it not? That, that human nature is the same whether it's 2,600 years ago or now. Even the struggles that, that feel so unique to us right now, that seem so powerful to us right now, they were experiencing then as well. I don't know if you remember, but in that period of time we call the kings when different leaders were raised up by God with his heart broken... Because God wanted to be king. He wanted to have a theocracy rather than a monarchy. He wanted to be Lord over his people's lives. But the people insisted that he put some, some human being in that spot that only God could fill. And, and what ensued was a series of, of kings, most of which um, being broken human beings led broken lives and led the people of God to brokenness as well. But occasionally, every once in a while, there was um, a, a king who opened his heart to the Lord and God used him powerfully to draw people back to him. One of those kings uh, ruled during the time of Habakkuk. His name was Josiah. And, and Josiah was not perfect by any stretch of the imaginations, but he led reforms which, which helped the people of God rediscover God. And, and, and you're thinking, well, this is a good thing now. Now they're back on the right track. They will stay on track, right? Well, in six years, you know yourself, you know, you know people, right? Josiah died, probably, we're thinking somewhere around 609 B.C. This is very possible that this book was written um, within a brief period of time after that, possibly as much uh, right around 605 B.C. And by the time it was written, the people of God had completely abandoned God. They had completely Abandoned. It was almost like Josiah died and they immediately whipped out the idols. They immediately whipped out all the false gods. They, they re-succumbed to all those false rituals that they thought somehow might, might win them favor with, I'm going to say, the gods. 
instead of the God. And, and, and Josiah was astounded. Excuse me, not Josiah. Habakkuk was astounded at how quickly the people of God abandoned God's purposes for them. Real quickly, um, I worked really hard to try and find the right way to say Habakkuk. And I have no idea how to say Habakkuk. Um, so I'm going to say Habakkuk. But know that other people say Habakkuk. <laughs> and some people, yeah, uh, that might be more authentic. The reality was the Hebrew language was completely lost as a spoken language for a period of time. And so there's not this ongoing tradition of how Hebrew words were pronounced. And it's, it's exacerbated by the reality that Hebrew doesn't use vowels. And so, so um, there's only consonants. So you have to kind of guess between the 15 words that those three consonants could represent. You have to guess which one it is. So I'm just going to blatantly say Habakkuk. And if I get to heaven, you get to heaven, and you find out that's not his name, forgive me, would you? But um, that's the way that I, that I cut my teeth on it, and you might have pronounced it differently. But feel where Habakkuk is. God, I am astounded, not at the wickedness of the world, but at how quickly your people, God, abandoned you the moment Josiah died. So the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, oh, Lord, and he uses the personal name of Yahweh right there. Oh, Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And then, and then right here, this unique aspect of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is talking to God. It's a conversation between Habakkuk and God. The whole book. It's unique in that regard. God answers him. God speaks to him. It's our memory verse. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, Habakkuk, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. I'm raising up the Chaldeans or Babylonians to us. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity goes forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And at kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Oh God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that you understand our condition. Thank you that you know everything that we are experiencing. And God, you have already gone before us and 2,600 years ago gave us truth. You gave us a path to walk in. God, you spoke into our lives. Open our hearts even now. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Wow. Well, I'm guessing that the full magnitude of what we just read didn't fully hit you. But I'm going to try and unpack that for you in these next few moments. I have to tell you that I'm just a little bit giddy with excitement because a lot of times um, I'm sharing with you truths that um, that I've experienced, that I have lived, that I have taught on umpteen times. When I was a student ministries director, I was teaching four and five times. And, and, and I love God's Word. And every time I come to His Word, it always has more for me. But I'm giddy with excitement here because I've never preached out of Habakkuk before. And, and as I began to study and prepare for it, I was just, well, using the, God's Word there, I was astounded at how relevant it was to the situation that we find ourselves in right here, certainly as a nation. And again, keep in mind as we study Habakkuk that he's talking about the people of God, the nation of Israel. He's talking about this whole people. But, but especially I was astounded at how it speaks to my personal situation as well. How God's Word just reached down there and tagged me right where I am. What am I talking about? There are... There are... Just fundamental questions, aren't there, that we bump up against at different seasons of our lives. Questions that honestly rock our world. Questions that sometimes um, drive us away from the love of God. Questions that, that, that make us turn and, and want to not believe in in a sovereign being who loves us and who is reaching out to us because we can't find answers to those questions. Sometimes it's, it's um, theoretical and, and they're good questions. I know many of you are just completing a study where you went after five or six of the fundamental questions that cause people to stumble. But sometimes, sometimes they're, they're intensely personal. A call comes in the middle of the night. Um, uh, a person is, is dying and you, and you immediately, oh, oh my goodness, Lord, not now. And, and, and we hop in the car and we run a few red lights and, and we're, we're going. And all of a sudden, whether we've been talking with God recently or not, all of a sudden we're talking powerfully to God. And we're saying, oh, God, please, please, don't let it be true. And maybe, maybe we get there and God pushes the shadow back and, and answers our cry. And, and we have a moment or a season where we're going, oh, God, thank you. I was not ready. I was not ready for that. Thank you um, for pushing that shadow back. But maybe uh, it's happened so much. Something happens and, 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 and it doesn't come out the way that you were asking. It doesn't come out the way that you had hoped. And, and creeping into your psyche comes this question, God, why? Why? 
Why did you let this happen? I, I feel that way about this precious nurse student who was killed in Newburgh um, last week, you know? Why? Why? I know that's unfolding even as we speak. The, the reality of the story may come out, but forget the murderer for a second. Where was God in that, right? Um, how do we respond when bad things happen? Let me take that stronger. When wicked things happen, when evil things happen, and we are trusting in a God who is sovereign, and we understand the com- complexity of that word, but that means that He controls all those situations. He didn't abandon. He didn't abandon the world after He created it. He still is guiding it. And we say, where does that fit in, God? Where does that that tragedy fit in to your sovereign purposes. All of us, sooner or later, come to that place where we ask that question or some version of that question. We get lots of answers in scriptures. And sometimes it can appear like the answers are conflicting. We see an answer in Job. We see an answer in in Abraham. And we see an answer in David when he was crying out for his son, we see these different answers and it's almost like it takes the whole of Scripture to completely speak into this, this huge question that is, that is plaguing us. And, and in the midst of that, we come to Habakkuk. One, one small person honestly, courageously coming to God and saying, God, I don't understand What's going on? Help me, would you? There's lots of ways of understanding this, this book. Different people have seen it. It comes neatly. It's only 56 verses. It's three short chapters. But many people have looked at it and said, well, chapter 1 is where our faith is tested. Chapter 2 is where, where God teaches us the, the core of faith. Um, chapter 3 is where our faith is triumphant. I want you to have that hope. <laughs> It, it can be hard in the next three weeks or so. It can be hard as we listen to God speak into our struggles. But there is hope. There is an amazing triumph at the end. Hold on. Hold on for dear life. Other people have seen it. Well, it's an argument with an answer. And finally, his gentle acceptance. Still others come to that place where they say, well, it's, it's us crying out or asking. It's God reminding us to wait And then it's the beauty of what happens when we talk to God or pray about what is before us. I'm not sure what it will be for you in the midst of that. But I do know this. It's going to address that universal question. Why did God let this happen? Why did he let it happen? I want to suggest to you that, that um, I love God's Word because it gives us real people in real situations. And Habakkuk is confused here. And he's even ticked off. He's agitated. And, and, and there's several things that are, that are leading to that agitation. There's three challenges that Habakkuk is facing that are important for us. The first one is, is uh, it catches you off guard. It catches you unaware. She says, how long... Oh, Lord, must I call for help, but you will not listen. Do you hear what's going on there? Habakkuk is saying, God, why is it that sometimes you don't answer a prayer? Why is it? You know, what's happening here, God? It's the, it's the brokenness that comes from crying out and, and nobody coming. 
and nobody responding. Well, consider for a moment, would you, the things that are going on in our world today. Gosh, the nuclear clock is at like 11.59 again, again. There's warfare all over the place. There is tragedy. Well, I can't call it a tragedy. It was murders like, like we experienced right here in our own town. There's, there's overwhelming corruption in leadership at local levels, at national levels, at global levels. Oh, there's a darkness. There's a deep darkness that lurks in many places, including the Internet, where where people can explore perversions that that um, that rend the heart and 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 get sucked into it and become enslaved by it. There's the brokenness that happens the moment someone perceives a weakness, a, a, a weakness, the power can go out in our community, and within hours there's looting and brokenness. Right, um, the moment the law is pushed back, people. People succumb to the darker sides of their natures. There's four students on UE's campus robbed at gunpoint last week. There's, there's just so much brokenness, right? Well, here's the reality. The very same things were happening in Habakkuk's day. And Habakkuk had the courage that many of us don't. He, he understood who was ultimately responsible for them. He came back to God and said, why are you letting this go on? And you know what God said to him? You got to understand the full thing about this. What God said to him was this. Absolutely nothing. And so he said, well, I must have not been clear, God. How can this be happening? And he prayed again, right? And, and God didn't respond. And some of you know that pain. You know that brokenness that comes from asking God something, and, and he doesn't respond. And so I don't know what you do, but what I do is I, I stop asking. Why? Because I can't stand the thought that God wouldn't answer, right? And I know I'm wrong in that. I'm just expressing my humanness to you. I know that, that I, my head knows that he is faithful. My head knows that there will be an answer, but my heart needs something different. My heart needs to hear something. My heart needs to feel his response. And so, so we cry out to God, God, why don't you hear me, Right? And sooner or later, we all bump up against what seems like God's inactivity in the midst of our need for Him. Where is He when we need Him? I don't want to step on your heart, but I experience these things all the time. A godly mother prays for her wayward son. He was raised in the church. He goes to Sunday school. He knows the Bible. But when he left the church, when he left home, he left all of that behind. And the mother continues to pray, God, bring my son Back to you. But to this day, he remains a prodigal son. How about the wife who's praying for her husband? After 23 years of marriage, he leaves her for a younger woman. He seems utterly unreachable. And the marriage is headed quickly, swiftly for divorce. How about the husband who's praying for his terminally ill wife? She has maybe six or seven months to live and... and, and None of the treatments, none of the human efforts seem to be helping the rampaging tumors. We asked everything. We had the elders anoint her with oil and pray over her. 
and five months later, she dies. Why, God? Why? How about the young man who prays fervently for, for deliverance from those overwhelming temptations? The struggle never seems to end. Every time it seems like he takes two steps forward, it seems like he takes three back. And the more he prays, it's almost like the more the temptation occurs. So we cry out like the psalmist, Lord, Psalm 10, verse 1, Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Remember the girls of Nigeria? Remember praying through that one? God, why? Remember the kindergartners? The Amish kindergartners? God, why? Right? Millions of Christians engage. Millions cry out to God. Say, Lord, where are you? And, And it seems like our prayers go unanswered. Let's continue. How about another challenge? How about the overwhelming perversity and wickedness of the world? It's uncontrolled. It's out of control. Uh, Habakkuk says, why do you make me look at this, God? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are all around me. There's strife and conflict abounding. The law seems paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. It's perverted. Not long ago in Chicago, they had a, what do they call that? A, um, a trap, basically, where they tried to trap people uh, in, in pornography rings. And um, they crossed over into something I'm a little unfamiliar with, um, but it, it's called the dark side of the Internet. There's a whole network of stuff that never appears on your Facebook, but of brokenness and pain that, that it can suck people into it. And, and most of us never encounter it. But once you, once you enter it, it's very hard to get out of. And, and in one weekend in Chicago, they nabbed 71 people in that, including a pastor, a rabbi, a police chief, several teachers. Um, and you say, God, why are you allowing? I'm not. This, don't misunderstand me here. Don't hear something I'm not saying. I'm not judging those people. I'm saying if they can get sucked into it, any of us can get sucked into it. Amen. I mean, why God do you allow a world with so much uncontrolled perversity? Where are you, God? So right off the bat in this dialogue, Habakkuk has asked two really important questions. God. Do you ever answer prayer? And, and, and then secondly, God, why do you allow wickedness to prevail? Keep in mind, Habakkuk's wickedness was not that of the world out there. It was within the faith community. He, he was talking about where the people of God had gone in the four or five years since Josiah had passed away. Well, you think if that were not enough challenge, the challenge of uncontrolled perversity in the world around us and even within ourselves and and the challenge of of God's seeming lack of response if that were not enough hold on to your receipts here you guys because it gets amazing Uh, there's another one 
Habakkuk says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you're told. And, and we're thinking, yeah. <coughs> Hit the button, I don't think I made it. Um, yeah, yeah, God, you're finally going to do something. You're finally going to do something. You're going to give us an unexpected answer right here, right? Oh, yeah, he does. Did you hear his answer earlier? You have to understand the context. We're talking about the people of God. People who for generations were oppressed by the Assyrians. Already, ten of the tribes of Israel have been completely wiped out. They've been completely taken away. They will not reappear until the last day. Ten tribes are gone. Are gone. And, and, and now only Judah... Uh, remains here, right? Judah remains trying to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of this. And now God's going to answer. And here is his answer. God, where have you been? The world's getting wicked. Uh, We haven't heard your voice. Okay, God speaks. And what does he say? I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the face of the earth. You see what God did? Oh, my goodness. Habakkuk, I'm going to answer your prayer, but you're not going to like the answer. I'm going to use the second most wicked nation up until that point ever to walk the face of the earth. I'm making a judgment call between the Assyrians and the Babylonians. I'm going to use the second most wicked nation to judge my people. I'm I'm going to bring judgment on my people About this time, I'm kind of like the guy who fell off the cliff and was hanging onto the rope and cried out, God, if you are there, save me. Do you remember that story? And God speaks and says, let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. And I'm like that guy who says, is there any other God up there? Right? God, I poured out my heart to you. Um, I've been genuinely broken by not only the sin of the world around me, but by my own sin and the sin of my people. And you're saying that you're going to use a nation much more wicked than me, much more wicked than my people. You're going to use the Babylonians to judge your people? God says yes. God says yes. You have to understand that that the Babylonians were a terrible people. They were, at this time now, in 605 B.C., they were the most hated and feared nation. Fill in the blank. Who would that be for you right now? It might be China. It might be Russia. It might be ISIS. It might be North Korea. You probably have lurking in your deep psyche there some latent fear that God might use this nation to judge our nation, you're starting to tap into what Habakkuk felt right there. See, this is really tantamount to saying, God, why are your people turning away from you? And God says, yes, and I'm going to use ISIS to judge them. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, you're saying, boy, Pastor Dave, I hope you can tie this up in a neat little bow by the end of the service. And I can't. God will. I give you that hope. I can't. I want you to experience the struggle. 
Because if you're like me, you are experiencing it. You're just pushing it down so far. Put it on your nice little happy Christian face, you know, and holding that struggle down here. Even though your heart might be breaking. You think, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? God, I, I'm at that point where I, I fear for my children, for my grandchildren. I fear for the generations that come after. The way this is going, God, just looks uglier and uglier. And God says, I'll show you ugly. I will show you ugly. No one could stand against the Babylonians. No one could defeat them. They were vicious. They were cruel. Their appetite for destruction was phenomenal. If they wanted something, they took it, and they took it brutally. It's hard for us to fully understand how the Jews felt about the Babylonians, but, but maybe, just maybe, some of those fears I put into your mind about our modern-day enemies would, would tap that, would touch that. They were ruthless and impetuous, verse 6 says. They were feared and dreaded, verse 7. They were a law to themselves, verse 7. They were swift as leopards, as ravenous as wolves. They swooped down on their prey like eagles. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings. They laugh at fortified cities and they never stop. Here's God's ultimate indictment of them. Their strength is their God. And right now, their strength is very strong. You've experienced that kind of thing before. Do you remember the story of, of Miriam Ibrahim? Um, amazing a doctor, medical doctor in Sudan. She was a Christian and she was serving the Lord in Sudan. But she was arrested and tried and convicted in Sudan, of apostasy and adultery. And you know what her crime was? Her crime was supposedly converting from Islam when in fact she'd never been a Muslim. She had been raised as a Christian. She wasn't an apostate because you can't leave a religion that you never joined. But because she was not Muslim, they committed her of adultery because she had a child with her Christian husband. She got pregnant with her Christian husband. The adultery was evidenced in her pregnancy in their minds. And she was sentenced. Do you remember that? She was sentenced to death for apostasy, this medical doctor caring for the poor in Sudan. And they told her, if you just renounce your faith in Jesus, we will let you live. If you just say the words, I renounce Jesus. And she said these words instead, I am a Christian and I will remain a Christian. And as a result of her witness, she was not only kept in jail, but she was put in shackles. And though she steadfastly refused to renounce the name of Jesus Christ, they still imprisoned her. And it wasn't until relatively recently that they finally, with amazing international uh, pressure, let her go in. What if, what if, Miriam's story was some, for some greater purpose? What if her story was uh, painful, yes, but would lead to freedom for someone that she could never imagine? Do you remember Deborah, our missionary in Karachi? Deborah um, went there as a nurse and, and began uh, just loving on people. She went to a foreign culture by herself and began serving people as a nurse. She met her husband, 
a Pakistani Christian, and they married, had two beautiful children. And for 20 years, Deborah Lobo now, um, she, uh, she loved on people in Jesus' name, and absolutely nothing, nothing happened. They would write year after year and say, we'd love to tell you that amazing fruit is going on here, but nothing's happening. Nothing seems to be happening. Thank you for your faithfulness and praying for us. Thank you for your faithfulness and supporting us. But nothing seems to be happening. You remember about two years ago, about three years ago now, Deborah was, um, was targeted and, and attacked outside of the school. She had risen um, to be the vice president of the medical school where she started as a nurse. And she, they waited for her, attacked her, and shot her in the head and in the arm. And if it hadn't been for her students coming out to surround the vehicle, then, then she would have been killed. Um, but they came out in the midst of the gunfire and they surrounded her car. But, but she was shot in the head. She was shot in the arm. And, and the, the chances of her survival were minimal. And God saved her life, saved every aspect. She's uh, just as clear today. She's still vice president of that same medical school, living in the same house with her daughter still there. She's still there. But what changed was that now all of a sudden, after 20 years of no fruit, all of a sudden, Muslims started coming to Christ. Why? Because they saw the testimony of this woman's life even in the midst of the questions that she could not answer. Even in the midst of the questions she could not answer. I want to invite you to risk with me this coming week. Risk believing that, that God might be working through your unanswered prayer for His sovereign purposes. I want you to risk believing for a second that God could take something even as, as broken and wicked as the culture in which we live right now and use that for His glory. I want to have you risk believing with me that God can take even your situation and use it powerfully for His glory. To understand this, and we're going to close in just a minute with some insights maybe to get us started. I hope I've tweaked your interest and that you'll go back into this book and, and read the balance of chapter 1 with me this week. And we'll come back next week and, and just see the power of God speaking into the situation. But I want you to note right up front that it's very possible to turn toward God to turn toward God without coming to God. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. It's possible to turn toward God. What happened in 911? We as a nation, there was a spike that Sunday in church attendance. We as a nation turned toward God. What was happening three weeks later? Oh, we're fine now. Thank you, God. We got this, right? Um, um, it's possible to turn toward God, to honor Him with our lips, and yet have our hearts still be far from Him. God is inviting you into a deeper, deeper experience of who He is and what He wants to do with your life. But you've got to come to Him in the midst of this. You need a great God and you have a great God, but you've got to come to Him even in the midst of the unanswered prayer, even in the midst of the confusing times. I'm just praying that you'll take this series and let God speak to you through it. But 
Let me, let me try and wrap this up by just noting a couple initial thoughts from this early part of the story. It makes sense, doesn't it, that we only see part of the picture? That we only see part of the picture? I don't know, but the, the imagery that's in my mind, I am not a puzzle person, but the imagery in my mind is, is a thousand-piece puzzle with three pieces put together and, and all these other pieces I know they fit together. I just can't, for the life of me, figure out how to put them together. It makes sense, doesn't it, that though that picture is right there scattered on your table, you only see three pieces of it, so you can't understand everything that God is doing. You can't understand how He's going to use something even broken and wicked to bring glory to Himself. Find comfort that while you can only see part of the picture... God sees the whole thing. Secondly, I just want to encourage you. God is not limited to what we think that he ought to do, right? I mean, I always have an opinion of what God should do in a given situation. And sometimes I get downright ticked off that he doesn't follow my wise counsel, right? But he's not limited by my tiny little understanding of who he is. We continually make the mistake of thinking that our plans and God's plans are the same plans, right? They aren't. They aren't. And, and, and let me just flip for a second and say, if, if it were true, if God always did what does what you want him to do, then probably your God is not the God of the Bible. It's certainly not the God of Habakkuk, right? So here's another way. Of looking at it. God is no person's servant. He is God. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, He does whatever He pleases. Right? He does whatever He pleases. So if something's going to change here, we've got to open our hearts to the fact that it might need to be our perceptions of Him. That we might need to humble ourselves before Him and say, God, I want to start over here. I've got very real needs. And I've got a very great God. I humbly cast myself before you. May your perfect will be worked out. And if I could, let me just add one, one poignant thought to end here. God, God is merciful, amen? He's merciful. But sometimes that mercy is severe. I'm picking up on some of C.S. Lewis's language here, but, but sometimes the very thing that we desperately need is harder than we could have ever understood. Habakkuk got his mind messed up because he thought he knew what God should do. In fact, the first few verses of Habakkuk show us that he was wrong twice. First, when he thought that God was ignoring Judah's sin, he was not. And second, when he, when he was uh, saying, God, you don't answer prayer, he did. He did. He just did it in a different way than Habakkuk ever could imagine. So let me close by saying, what do you do when God doesn't seem to make sense? What do you do? You turn to Him. You come to Him with your questions, with your doubts. This is, this is beautiful. And somewhere along the line, you, you thought you learned that you never questioned God. 
that, that that's a sign of faithlessness and doubt. No, I think God celebrates people coming and saying, I want to know you, God. I want to know the power, quoting Paul here, the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in your suffering. I want to know you, God. Don't hold back. God loves that. Bring your questions to him. Turn to him. Talk with him. Courageously ask questions. And then as we'll see next week, wait. Wait. For his response, wait for it. Then cast yourself, cast yourself upon the amazing grace of God. Where are you today? Have you been wrestling with unanswered prayer? (laughs) Remember Daniel? Daniel prayed and nothing happened. And all of a sudden one day, excuse me, the vulgarity of this, but all of a sudden one day an angel came skidding in and said, oh, whew, sorry I'm late, Daniel. You wouldn't believe the traffic. I had to overcome the whole prince of the air over this whole nation. There was spiritual warfare going on for Daniel. Maybe, just maybe, God has heard. He is responding. But God's fighting for your life. He's fighting for your soul. He's fighting for your family. He's fighting for your marriage. He's fighting for your healing. Maybe, just maybe, God has heard and is responding and you just can't see it yet. So cast yourself upon Him. Trust that He has already gone before you and provided a way. Pray with me. Would you, worship team, come on up. God, as the storm rages outside, we're just mindful of the storms that might be raging inside. Because, God, we got ourselves to a place where we could coexist with you, where we could be fine um, having some semblance of a relationship with you as long as we didn't ask too many hard questions. And now I'm sitting here and inviting our, our precious flock to ask you questions, to bring to the surface those those scary things, God, that we're afraid to talk with you about. I thank you, God, that you are a God of love, that in mercy you have already reached out to us. You have already given Jesus Christ your Son in our place so that we might even be able to talk with you here. Now, God, I pray the full weight of His glory might fall on us. I pray the full weight of His love might minister to us. I pray even in the midst of our own condemning voices, God, of our own self-condemnation, that instead we would hear that still, small voice speaking, singing even over us of God's amazing grace. For those, God, who are desperate, I pray that you grant them amazing courage to speak with you. And God, to reach out and invite someone else to pray with them, to talk together with you. I pray that you grant us amazing courage to risk going after those golden cows that we were just so afraid to touch. Grant us, God, that we could somehow risk believing that your word is true and that you're speaking to us now. And God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. We will thank you for this grace. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.